Um, hey, we're really glad that you are here. Um, hopefully you are enjoying this fall season. Hopefully you are enjoying getting closer to the end of your semester. If you're in school, it needs to come fast. I know, I get it. Uh, but I'm really excited to begin a new conversation over the next two weeks. We are calling this season, this conversations, we're calling it Seasons. Uh, not just because of the season that we're in and all the, fall, all the leaves are falling and I feel like such a basic person. But it's fine because I love it. It's my favorite season. But in this season, we're going to talk about seasons uh, because I think this conversation we're going to have over the next two weeks is one that can radically change your life. But in this conversation, we're going to have uh, a little bit of a dialogue about one of the most important moments in your life happens through this conversation. So I'm going to give you a context and a little bit of a construct about how to approach that. But first... Uh, as this season has changed, my wife and I moved into a new house uh, back in the spring. Uh, moving sucks. If you're ever like, hey, that sounds fun. It's not, okay? But once you get in, you kind of feel settled and get into it. You get to see all the new things and all the new seasons. So we've never gotten to experience fall in this house that we're in. And we basically live in what feels like a forest. There are so many leaves all over my roof, my car, my driveway. I feel like they're inside my house everywhere. It's wonderful, but they're everywhere. And so we've been just trying to like lean into the vibe of the season big time. And one of the things we've been doing is watching some movies at night. We are big movie watchers. Any fan, and just like if you got free time, you're like, I'd love to watch a movie. Anyone else like me like to watch a movie? Okay. Um, so we watched a movie the other night. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. Who's watched Enola Holmes 2? Anyone seen that yet? Okay. Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Guys, it's called Netflix. All right, welcome to 2022. You can go find it. Millie Bobby Brown, uh, she plays Enola Holmes. It's a Sherlock Holmes movie. It's incredible. But listen, I love that movie. I would love the first one. I've loved this one. You should go watch it. Every time I watch a movie with my wife, there's a little part of me that is absolutely terrified. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You're watching it with your wife. No, I am, because it doesn't matter how good the movie is. Some of you are like this, and if you are, I understand. I see you, and it's a little terrifying. It doesn't matter how good the movie is. If that movie has a bad ending, the whole movie sucks. Anyone else agree with that? Like, you're just, if the ending's bad, I'm done. It doesn't matter how great it was, how entertaining it was, how locked in I was. If the ending isn't what I expect, I'm out. I hate it. I'll never watch it again. Okay, Somebody tell me the last time you saw a movie with a bad ending. Somebody, just give me an example. You got one? What is it? The Barbarian. The Barbarian? Who's seen The Barbarian? Is it a bad ending? Okay, that's a hot take. You got a strong no in the back. All right, give me another one. Bad ending. Okay, so she said it wasn't bad altogether, but senior year with Rebel Wilson was a bad ending. It was, oh, you're just really like, you're a movie critic now. That's impressive. She has her own websites. Give me one more, one more bad ending. Someone in this, you got a bad ending? What is it? Halloween ends? Is that the last of all the Halloween? Okay, who likes scary movies in here? Keep your hand raised. I'm gonna pray for you. There's something wrong with your soul. Sweet Jesus. I don't know. Ben, ben who was up here, loves scary movies. I'm like, man, there's something wrong with you. So Halloween ends had an awful ending. That's like exponentially worse because it's the last of the series of like 19 movies, right? That's, okay, that's real bad. Now listen, we don't like when a story has a bad ending because, not because we're the greatest movie critics in the world and Rebel Wilson doesn't know how to close a movie out. She does, it's called Pitch Perfect, all right? Listen, it's not because of any of those things. It's because we have been trained, whether you were aware of it or not, you have been trained with a certain way of thinking, 
There's a certain mindset, a certain way of thinking that you've been trained because you live in the West. We have a Western mindset of the approach that we have towards stories and towards finishes. Because in our world, we think of everything as a start, has a finish. Everything has a beginning, it has an end. And that's because we have a Western way of thinking. But there's another way of thinking, an Eastern way of thinking. It's just a different mentality of the way we view things. So we don't like movies that end bad because we're like, well, that was the end of all of it. And now the entire series is ruined. I'll never watch another Halloween movie in my life because the ending was bad of that one. Like, then we go real hot take. But it's because we have a Western way of thinking. So let me show you this real quick. There's a Western way of thinking, an Eastern way of thinking. In the West, our way of thinking, our, mo- our model of thinking that we were trained to think is very linear. It's a line. It's a start and an end. It's a beginning. It's a finish. It's that di- I'm right here. There's a destination way over there that I've got to reach. Think about all the great stories that you love that have been written in the last hundred years in an English-speaking country. More likely than not, they are on an adventure that has a destination that they're trying to reach. That's how our minds think about stories. That's how our minds think about growth. That's how our minds think about the progression of things in life. And so really our way of thinking, a Western way of thinking says that maturity is tied to the destination. Maturity is tied to the destination. So if the ending is bad, this entire thing was not worth it because maturity is tied to the destination. But there's an Eastern way of thinking that a lot of times we'll see in completely different parts of the world or in ancient uh, parts of history. An Eastern way of thinking is completely different. And when I say this, you can be like, oh, I get it now. Because we think linearly, like a line, but an Eastern model of thinking thinks like a loop. They think like a circle. So instead of it being a beginning is here and end is there, they think more of it like a loop. This is why in a lot of Eastern modes of thinking, you find the ideas of reincarnation or of karma, that things come back around because they think through the lens of a loop. And see, to the Eastern model of thinking, what they would say is that maturity or the growth or the entire purpose is actually tied to the journey. Maturity is tied to the journey. So it's not necessarily about, I gotta get there. It's about while I'm on this thing here, because it's a loop, I may even come back here again. But the journey matters far more than the destination. And this matters for us tonight because what I wanna introduce to you is a way of thinking that's a little bit different than what you may have thought before. But the reason why you need to understand it is because our faith in Jesus is built and based on a faith that was not built on a Western way of thinking. This is a modern way of thinking. Christianity was built on a foundation of an Eastern thinking model of thought. And so if you have to approach your faith with one of two lenses, you've either got to look at Jesus and your faith through our mode of thinking of a Western way, or you can look at your faith in Jesus through the lens that's probably more accurate about how people back in Jesus's time would have thought. Because the ancient, ancient Near Eastern religions around the time whenever the Israelites were living out the story of the Old Testament was more of an Eastern way of thinking, and that's the basis of our Christian faith. And so with that in mind, there's a complete difference of the way that we should be approaching our faith. Instead of looking at it like it's a destination, like I'm here, God's there, and one day maybe I'll get to be with him in heaven. If I meet the minimum entrance requirement of doing whatever is necessary, then it may feel like hell now, but it'll eventually be heaven 
later. It's a destination mindset. But Christianity is based more on an Eastern way of thinking, which is more of a loop, which is more of a journey. And what Jesus is inviting you into is far less of come and reach a destination one day and far more come and live on a journey with me today. And really, this is what we've been talking about this entire semester is this idea of the journey that you are on. We've been talking to you about this idea of reality and truth, this idea of what your foundation for your mindset is, what the foundation for your authority is. And if God is your ultimate authority in the Did God Really Say series, then at the end of the day, if you place him as your ultimate authority, you'll be able to say, I'm living my best life. You see how this is all connected through the idea of this journey of your life that you are on if you want to follow Jesus. Now, how you answer the question of whether or not God is your ultimate authority, we talked about the last series, but at the end of the day, what that comes down to is a truth for me that has become anchored in something I believe about God. And A.W. Tozer said it this way. I shared it in the first series. I'm gonna share it with you again because it's paramount for this conversation. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if our Western way of thinking is saying that God is way over there and I gotta figure out how to get there to him one day, we will miss out on the life that Jesus is inviting us into, this journey alongside him. And the reason why this is so important is because the season that you are in right now, this college age season of life, in this season you are barraged by more voices and sources all around you than maybe any other season. Because all these voices and all these sources and you are at the leading edge of your generation and making a change and feeling like you've got some empowerment now, in this season of life, you are having to navigate in battle the barrage of voices and sources that are constantly trying to tell you what you should believe about yourself and what you should believe about God. Really, we would say this way, that your identity those answers to those two things, your identity is on the chopping block and everyone is trying to tell you what you should believe. The culture around you, the external voices, the external sources are trying to tell you that. You know that, we've talked about this. But now more than ever, what's true is that you and I live in a culture that says what you should think about God is that what he offers you isn't really worth it. Our culture today, more than ever before in Western modern history, would tell you that what God offers is actually nothing for you. Because what our culture has done is it has elevated this idea that you can find your best life, you can find your truth, you can find everything you're looking for by elevating self over God. And so now we become the ultimate authority in our life. If this feels like a recap of our last series, I should probably recap it every week because it's what y'all go against every single day. This is the reality of the culture we live in is that we should elevate self over everything else. But in our attempt and in our pursuit of finding what is true for us, finding our identity based on what we find inside of ourself, our self-enlightenment, our, our personality tests and all the things that come from that, what we're doing is we're not saying God doesn't exist we don't need God, there's no spirituality in life. We are saying we are our own God because we are above him. I no longer need him to be my authority, I can be my own authority. But if what comes into our minds and we think about God is the most important thing about us, then I wanna show you some things about God that are going to shape the way you view the journey 
that he is inviting you into. Because at the end of the day, every single one of you need to answer this. You need to think through the lens of someone like me or someone else or some, some a friend that you have, someone invited you here tonight, someone in your life. And maybe it's no one in your life. Maybe you just got this pull, this press, this desire to figure out more about Jesus. You've been drawn closer. You've got to answer the question, why? Why would you do this? And if we sit here and talk about this idea of being saved or finding salvation in Jesus, you need to ask yourself the question, what am I being saved from? How many times do we talk about that in life? But the truth is, the way you answer any of those questions comes down to what you believe about God. And I want you to know that what I've found to be true in my life and what so many have found to be true in their life and what Paul is gonna tell us in a minute of what he's found to be true in his life is that I believe that you can trust him. I believe that you can trust him. And I believe that out of that trust, there's something that you can understand about his character. And this is what I need you to understand over the next few weeks is that God is fundamentally it is a part of his character. He cannot shake it. He cannot help it. God is fundamentally kind. Now that's a narrative that other people would say is completely opposite. That's a narrative that the world around you would not elevate and not project out to you as something that is true. That's a narrative that your circumstances will tell you is not true. Because what our world has done is our world has built this lie that if it doesn't feel good, it must not be good. And if it doesn't feel like he's loving me, then he must not be loving me. And so when our feelings are all of a sudden attached to our truth, we start to believe lies instead of truth. And we don't understand where to find the basis of what comes into our minds when we think about God because it's the most important thing about us. God's character, he is fundamentally kind. And it's that kindness that he offers towards you that I want us to talk about both tonight and next week, because it's a result of that kindness is a result of his choice to give it to you. So if you paid attention last week with TLR at home, we talked about how kindness is ultimately, it's a choice. Kindness is a choice. And so God chooses to give his kindness towards you in every single season. And it's out of that kindness that you are then invited into a journey of finding the more and better life than you could ever dream of. And this is what Paul talks about. So we've been going after this this entire semester and Paul starts to sum it up with some specific language that may be true for some of you in the room tonight. And he's talking to the early church in the, in the book of Ephesians, this church in Ephesus that's trying to get off the ground and has all these cultural forces and voices and sources around it saying something completely opposite to the gospel of Jesus. And he's saying, here's what's true of you. Here's what you can know about the character of God. Here's the model of thinking that you can put on so that you can know what comes into your mind when you think about God, because it's the most important thing about you. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter two. This is the message version. This is Eugene Peterson's translation into our language of our time that's very easy to understand. So follow along, read with me. It says, it was not that long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. Now we don't like talking about that, that S word over there, the three letter S word, sin, but that's the reality of what we live in when we live out lies instead of truth when we live for self over God, whenever we become the gods of our own life. That's an old and stagnant life of sin. And for the people he's talking to in the church, they used to live that way. And for you in, in this room tonight, he's probably telling you if you're watching online, that used to be the life that you lived in. Maybe for some of you, that's the life that you are living in. 
And he's saying it's an old and stagnant life that's leading you nowhere. And it wasn't that long ago that you were mired in it. Because what you did is you let the world, our culture, our voices, our sources, the things around us, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Now, if this feels harsh, listen to this language. He says, then you filled up your lungs. You breathed in polluted unbelief. And then out of that polluted unbelief, then you exhaled disobedience. In other words, you breathed in unbelief and then the process of your breathing in unbelief produced within you disobedience to what God would say. And if you're like, this is really difficult, Paul, quit calling me out. I don't wanna deal with this. Don't worry, you're not alone. Because the very next words he says are, guess what? We all did it. Every one of us. We're all guilty of this. Every one of us have had some disbelief that we've, some unbelief we've tried to live out, some lie that's become a part of the truth within our life that we've lived out and it's produced disobedience within us. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. Isn't that like, that is my banner in the morning. Like, alarms? No thanks. I wanna do what I wanna do. Wake up, have responsibility. I'd rather sleep in. My kids now, my six-year-old says, Dad, I don't like you telling me what to do. I'm like, <laughs> Okay, fine. Why don't you take care of your brothers and sisters? Why don't you do all the laundry? Why don't you, yeah, go ahead. You're fine. Yeah, you're the queen of your own world, Gwen. Like, no. I get it, though. I don't like being told what to do either. Why? Because I've got a default thing within me, just like her, of wanting to do what I feel like doing when I feel like doing it. We all do this. You know that. All of us, we're in the exact same boat. And Paul says, it's a wonder it is amazing. It shouldn't even exist. It is a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. And so many people think that that's God's approach towards them. So many people think that's, that must be how God views me. God must view me as a disappointment because I've disappointed myself or I've disappointed someone else or maybe I feel like I've disappointed him. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna go away from me. He's gonna push me away. He must not want to draw close. I'm too dirty. I'm too unclean. Does he really know what I did last night? Do you know what I did last night? I can't come close to him. I'm too messed up. And what I deserve, so many of us think this. I think this all the time. It's my biggest problem with grace because I think I deserve, it's called penance. I deserve punishment for the mistakes I've made. We feel dirty. We feel wrong. We feel guilty. We feel shame. He's saying, thank God it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and get rid of a lot of us because it's probably what we deserve. But he said, no, 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 that's not his character. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. When you feel like you've done something that would cause the character of God to shift and change about his view of you, did you know you can't do something so much to make God stop loving you, stop chasing you, stop trying to win you, stop trying to speak to you because he wants to embrace you. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to give you love, even though you don't deserve it. Not because of what you've done, but in spite of what you've done. And he draws near to you in those moments. And so if I can tell you something about God's character that you need to understand at the beginning of this conversation, to shape and change your model of thinking, it's this, is that God loves you so much. God loves you so much 
And whenever I say that, I know what it's like to sit in your shoes. I know what it's like to be in that chair or watch online and hear someone say, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. God loves me so much. Ah, okay, fine, yeah. And sometimes we hear that and it stays here, but it never sits and actually we don't feel it here. But you need to know God loves you so much because when he saw what you did, he didn't want to wipe you out. When he saw what you did, he said, I'm gonna go after them. When you ran away, he ran further after you. When you pushed him hard away, he pushed through it to go after you. Because God loves you so much. And then Paul keeps talking about what that love looks like and what that means for us. Says that he took our sin-dead lives, our lives that were dead because of sin. He took our sin-dead lives and he made us alive in Christ. So when you choose to follow Jesus, he does this transaction where he takes your sin and your death onto himself and he gives you his life in droves. He looks at you with mercy and with love and with grace and he says, take my life because I want you to have life. Why do I want you to have life? Because I love you so much. He took our sin dead lives and he made us alive in Christ and he did all of this on his own with no help from us. He said, then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. This is insane. Like I'm, I'm dirty, I'm not holy, I'm unclean. How can I be there? And no, Paul's sitting here saying what God did is that when, when you accept Jesus and whenever you choose to follow him, he takes you and he cleans you off and he makes you holy and he makes you good. So we think in our model of thinking that I in the destination have got to go and get clean before I can come to God. But what Jesus says is, no, 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 you just come to God and I'll make you clean. I, I, got, I got to figure it out and get right before I come to God. No, 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 you just come to God and he'll make you right and help you figure it out. He loves you so much, not because of what you've done, but in spite of what you've done. And he's sitting here saying, I'm going to also take you into the exact same place of where Jesus is. You will be made mine because I love you so much. And that's the truth that he's saying to you right now is that God loves you so much that he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. You don't have to go and do anything to make him come and find you. He's looking at you right now. Every one of you that's sitting under my voice, he's looking at you and he's saying, I want to offer you into this journey of life with me. I want to save you right now. Whatever you came in here with, whatever you did before you came in here, whatever you did last night, whatever you will do tomorrow night, I wanna save you right now. Whatever confusion you've got, whatever doubts you bring in, whatever your life looks like, no matter how messy and messed up it is, I want you right now. That's because he loves you so much. God loves you so much, he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. And whenever he does, look at what Paul says. He says, now God has us where he wants us. And when I saw that, I was like, oh crap. Because that's like, oh, in the crosshairs, like now we got them where we want them. Like that's what I think of when I read that phrase. But again, it's what comes into your mind when you think about God, that's the most important thing about you. If God is after you or coming to get you, then that's how you're gonna view this. But that's not what Paul says God is doing. He says, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and in the next. 
He's got us where he wants us so he can shower us with grace and kindness. So he can give us the grace and the kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. And why does he want to do that? Because he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. Here's how he finishes this section. He says, saving, saving you was all his idea and it was all his work. All we do is we simply trust him enough to let him do it. So instead of the self of I gotta elevate myself and figure it out and grasp for straws and make this work, you just gotta open your hands up and say, okay, I surrender and I trust you because of what I know about you, because of what you've done for me. And if I trust you, then I can obey you and then I can go on this journey with you and I wanna follow you. I want you now. All we gotta do is trust him enough to let him do that saving work. It's God's gift from start to finish. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who had the idea of it. You didn't mess up and then God said, oh no, now we gotta go get him. No, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He knew you'd be where you were and he did everything for you anyways. Because saving was his idea from start to finish. And this is what I love. Paul's like, hey, I know you're gonna have this in your culture in 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years later and we don't play the major role. He's like, so guess what? You're not the main character, (laughs) boo-boo. That's not the role you get to play. This isn't all about you and yourself and you being elevated. You're not the main character. Jesus is. Because if we did that saving work, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. Like, he's so right. He is so right. How many times have I done something great and I'm like, look how great I am. Like, that's in us. It is a default reaction that we have to a greatness that we perform. And if I save myself in some way, I'm gonna brag about it. No, that's not what we do because we neither make nor save ourselves. You didn't choose to be born. You didn't get to choose who made you or how you were made. None of that was your choice. You didn't choose to be made and you don't choose to be saved. God is the one who does the work of saving in the same way he's the one who did the work of making because God does both the making and the saving. It says he creates each of us by Christ Jesus, to join him in the work that he does, the good work that he has gotten us ready to do, work we had better be doing. And this idea that he's gotten us ready. God right now is wanting to take you on a journey. He's wanting to go on a journey with you. He's wanting to take you where you are and bring you into a new life into a full life, into a true life, into a brighter life, into, this is what Jesus said, into a more and better life than you could ever dream of. And it's not a destination that you get to reach one day. It's not a, and eventually I'll be there in heaven. It's no, it's not a destination you get to reach one day. It's an experience that you get to have full in today. You can find that right now. It's an opportunity to begin living that life Now, your best life right now, that's the journey you get to go on when you choose to follow Jesus, when you see his character and that he's fundamentally kind towards you and you say yes to everything he's taking you through. And so if he wants to get you ready for that type of life, then the next logical question that we have to ask is cool, how does he get us ready? How do I actually get ready for that? What does it look like to grow in my journey with Jesus? This is a a word that we don't talk about often, but it's a word that is existing for all of you if you wanna have faith of any kind. It's called sanctification. 
the process of God growing you up, the process of God sanctifying you to look more like him. Christian just means little Christ. And so if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to model your life around the rhythms of Jesus to look more like Jesus. And that's what God is trying to get you ready to do. He's trying to grow you up in your faith. God loves you so much, he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. And he wants to bring you on a journey with him, a journey through different seasons. Because the seasons of life that you live you're old enough to understand that they're not always the same. How many of you have ever experienced heartbreak? Raise your hand. All right, let's all cry together. Are you ready? Get it out, girl, get it out. No, we've all experienced heartache. How many of you have experienced overwhelming joy? Raise your hand. Come on, guys, I know you have. All the extroverts are like, right now, I get to raise my hand and participate. So yeah. We've all experienced heartbreak. We've all experienced joy. How many of you have ever been disappointed before? Been disappointed? Yeah. Hopefully Moe's wasn't that disappointing, guys, okay? We've all been disappointed before. How many of you have ever had every expectation met and it was the best experience ever? You've ever had, that's probably less hands, guys. You need to get your standards right, okay? You gotta step your game up. All disappointments, just unmet expectations. Get the right expectations, you'll have more, more, uh, more enjoyment in life, okay? No, he wants to take you through, take you through seasons, because you're going to go through seasons in your life. It is not always gonna be the exact same. Why? Because we don't live on a line. Our life, our thinking, our faith is not built in a linear fashion. It's built in a loop. You go through seasons. Y'all thought I was done with circles? Uh-uh, I got two more, all right? So you live through seasons. But the seasons you live through aren't just because the leaves change and PSLs come out, no. They are the seasons of the soul. Your soul goes through different seasons in life. You can, I'm telling you it says seasons of the soul. If you can't see it, I'm sorry. No, you go through seasons of the soul. This is something that you live with. This is the reality for all of us in life. As we go through different seasons. And so if our life and if our faith is not built on a, on a way of thinking that is linear, but it's more of a loop, then those seasons are more circular you think I'd get better at circles after doing them for four weeks. I'm not, I'm sorry, no. But they, listen, this is our life. We have these seasons of the soul and these seasons match our seasons because this concept, this construct for your brain works because you live in Georgia. If you lived in Costa Rica, there are only two seasons. It may not work. Or in the desert, there's only one. I'm sorry, but here we have four. And by four, I mean 12 because it was fake fall this week and it was 85. What are you doing? We have four seasons. And those four seasons are easy for us to understand. We know this. You have spring. And then after spring, you have summer. How many of you would say summer is your favorite season? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right, that's cool. That's cool. Um, congratulations on not getting sunburned. Um, so fall. And then after fall, you have winter. We have four seasons in our world, in our climate, and you have four seasons of your soul. And so what I wanna talk you through, what I wanna give you is a construct of how to think about this journey that God wants to take you on. If you wanna sign up to that invitation, if you wanna say yes to finding that full life, that more and better life than you could ever dream of, then this idea of the seasons of your soul is a roadmap to help you understand what is actually going on in that journey. Because every single season is different 
And every single season shows up in a different way. But the very first season that we get to live with is the season of spring. Because what happens is that in spring you find new life. There are new beginnings. New things blossom and bloom all around us. Pollen is from the devil. But outside of that, everything else has this feeling of being up, up, and up. And so spring is this time when you experience new life spiritually. When you go through spring, this is where salvation happens. This is when baptism happens. This is the celebration of new life because you weren't even in a season before this. You were just over here in outer space in the cold, dark depths of nowhere. You're living in the abyss thinking you're just doing your own thing. And then you came to realize there's maybe something more going on in my life. And so spring is new colors. Spring is new beginnings. Spring means that you've got hope when maybe you didn't have it before because maybe your life was dark or difficult or tough for a long season and now you feel like that darkness is fading and the clouds are parting and you're like, the sun is shining again, I can breathe. I was so depressed and now I'm not anymore because something new is happening in me. This is where new life happens, is in spring. And so there's a trend to the idea of this spring season. Every season has a trend of what happens in the season. The trend of spring, remember last time it looked like the devil bled all over my hands, so I'm gonna make sure I don't do that this time with a red marker. The trend of spring is up because everything feels like it's on the up and up in spring. This is when relationships are fresh and new. This is when you start dating somebody and it's going so well, but you still feel a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, oh, we're kind of feeling each other out. I don't really know. Like, I don't want to make her weird. Like, we haven't gone through the process of like, I never farted around her. Like, I haven't done the real life things. We're still kind of at arm's length. I don't know if I can text her today. Is that going to be weird? Am I a clinger? Am I weird because I want to text her? Even though I saw her four days ago, that's not weird, right? Like, you know the dialogue, y'all play it yourself. So equate that exact same uncomfortable, kind of awkward, I don't really know, to the reality of your spiritual life. When you are in spring and things are brand new, you're kind of acting like a baby. I got five of them. You know what babies do? They do only a very few amount of things. They sleep, they eat, they cry, and they poop all over themselves. And so the moment you feel like, oh, I'm messing up, I'm not getting it right, and you feel like you pooped all over yourself, you made a mess, yeah. That's what happens in spring. But we don't get on to babies for doing what babies do. Babies learn and they grow because growth begins and happens in spring. So you're figuring things out. You're excited about this new life that you get to live. You may not have every answer in the world, but there is something radically different about your life. That's when you're living in spring. And the great part about spring is that the hope it has is that there is a warmer season coming. That it's not gonna be uncomfortable forever, that eventually I'm gonna find a rhythm, I'm gonna find a groove, and then eventually I'm gonna get to summer. And when summer shows up, this is one of the best parts of your faith because this is when your feelings match your faith. You're about a season where your feelings didn't match your faith and it was really, really tough to have faith. In summer, your feelings match your faith. This is when it's easy to worship. This is when it's easy to pray. You're like, I don't even know how to pray. I just, the Holy Spirit came and said things through me. I don't know what I was doing. It was the Spirit of God in me. Like, it's just the easiest thing in the world. You're, you're wanting to wake up early and study. You're wanting to get in God's word. When I was 17 years old, right before I got to college, 
is when I surrendered my life to Jesus. I, I had maybe been saved when I was eight and I like knew what it meant, but it was never my decision. It was never my life. I never chose to follow him until I was 17. And in that summer, going into my senior year of high school when I was 17 years old, I decided to surrender my life to Jesus and I saw changes happen because I allowed him to change my life. I stepped out of the relationship, the on-off relationship I was in for about two years. I stopped being heavily influenced by all the people around me. I started making some resolve, putting some resolve into my decisions. And it was clunky and it was weird, but after a few months, it became so second hand. It became so part of my nature, so part of my rhythm. I would have friends go and hang out and they would go and wanna like spend the night or do this party and I was like, cool, I'll be there in 45 minutes. I gotta go home first because I wanna read. Like, what? But that's what I wanted to do because it was summer. It was easy to journal. It was easy to pray. It was easy to worship. It was when my feelings matched my faith. It was a mountaintop experience. If you ever went on a summer camp or any kind of camp when you were a student and you were like, I've never felt closer to Jesus in my life during this retreat, in that moment, you were experiencing summer. And right thereafter, when you got home before the rhythms of life kicked back in, it felt like summer. This is when it's warm. This is when it's externally things are going well in your life. In summer. And what happens in summer is that your joy becomes contagious. You ever seen someone who's so on fire in their faith? Like, you can't hold it back. You, you just see it naturally because it's just a natural part of the season that they're in. Because the trend of summer, see it went there, not, uh, nope, there it is. Okay, not on me. The trend of summer is out because your joy becomes contagious and everyone can see and experience the radiance of what you are going through in summer. Now, you will experience all of these seasons in your life. You'll have an opportunity to experience all of them, but there's a few things I want you to know, three things I want you to know about these seasons before we jump into more. The first thing is that there's no wrong season. You really need to know that. There's no wrong season. Just because things aren't here in summer and bright and beautiful and wonderful and warm and you got suntan lotion on, because all the, no, like, just because you're not here doesn't mean you're in a wrong season. There are no wrong seasons in this loop, in this journey of following Jesus. The second thing you need to know is there is no set length of time in which you experience each season. You cannot microwave your seasons. You have to marinate in them. You cannot microwave them. You have to marinate in them. There is no set length of time in which you're going to experience these seasons. So in the warmer seasons, you want them to last forever and they may last a really long time. And then you may experience it again and it may be a little shorter and you're like, what did I do wrong? Nothing, because there's no set time for each length of season. And the third thing you need to know is that Jesus wants to take you through every single season because that's the journey that you are invited into. It's not a destination, it's a journey. It's a full life more and better life than you could ever dream of right now type of life that he wants to bring you into right now when you choose to follow him. Why does he wanna do that? Because God loves you so much that he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. He wants to bring you into spring now, exactly as you are. It is an offer available to you. God loves you so much, he wants to save you exactly as he finds you. The most important thing in your entire life, the most pivotal moment 
of your entire faith. It does not happen in spring or summer. The most pivotal moment of your entire faith journey happens on the other side of the warmer seasons because you are presented with an opportunity right here. It's an opportunity of something that we're gonna talk about next week, but ultimately it comes down to God's character and who he is and what comes into your mind when you think about God because it's the most important thing about you because God loves you so much he wants to save you exactly as he finds you, but God loves you too much to leave you as he found you. He does not want you to become a 40-year-old who is 14 years old spiritually. He does not want you to continue making the mistakes and having the trip-ups and the failings and the failures and the falls of everything you got right now in life. He wants you to grow out of them because you know what's true is that you want to also. No one has ever looked back at a previous season with all their mistakes and failures and be like, man, I wish I could go back there. That's not what you want. That's not what he wants. So he wants to take you on the journey of getting you out of that. And so the most pivotal moment of your entire life happens on the other side of those warmer seasons with the introduction of the colder seasons that we will talk about next week. So I'm really excited to continue this conversation with y'all next week. I wanna pray for y'all, pray for you, pray over you for the season that you're in as you start to navigate that in your life and we will keep talking about it next week. So I'm gonna pray and then I got two things, not 17 like the last four weeks. I got two things I'm gonna tell you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much. You wanna save us exactly as you find us. Thank you for that grace that we don't deserve, but it's how much you love us. And God, I'm so grateful that while you love us so much that you save us exactly as you find us, you love us too much to leave you as you found us. So I pray that as we have this conversation that you would stir something in the hearts and in the, in the minds and in the thought process of these students, that you would draw them closer to you, to understanding more of you and the character of who you are because you are fundamentally kind to us and you love us and you did everything for us. So may we lean into that and may that become a foundation for our hope, a foundation for our lives, a foundation for our future. And may we choose from that invitation to say yes to the journey that you wanna take us on. So thank you for who you are and thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.